the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. I'm Brandon, your host, with my co-host, Joe. Hello. I feel like I should have a catchphrase when you say, Joe, I should say... Turkey. I don't know. <laughs> Remember that superhero, The Tick? His catchphrase was spoon. Maybe I'll try that one next time. <laughs> this awkward cartoon with Mothman. Yes. So I'm super excited about today's guest. We have Abby Duncan, and she has an incredible story. I feel lucky to have her in the studio today. I welcome Abby. Thanks. I am so excited to be here. So th- definitely thanks for the invite. Yeah. Let's give the listeners kind of an overview of your, your story, what you've been through, and how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, it's been a long story, definitely not a traditional um, story. But so basically, long story short, I was in a wheelchair for eight years, um, played wheelchair basketball, and then now I'm walking again. So it started actually back in 2008. I tore my meniscus in my left knee and had surgery. Everything went great. I'm going through rehab process. And then for some reason, the pain that I had from that meniscus tear just never went away. And so I was later diagnosed with something called CRPS or complex regional pain syndrome. So we actually joke that it's actually the fire within because <laughs> your body is producing all this pain and you just don't know why. Yeah. And for example, if you break your ankle, your brain is going to send those pain signals saying, hey, I'm in pain. With CRPS, that ankle would heal, but your brain just never stops sending those pain signals. Yeah. We, we briefly touched on this with an episode with a pelvic floor physical therapist, Dr. Nora Witten, and there's a whole field of science on this now too. And the good physical therapists, especially from uh, Duke School of Medicine, are now educating their clients on this re- regional pain syndrome. Do you remember the name of the doctor that he's got like this really short two minute video with the... Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a doctor that uh, he's got this website with this two minute animated video that makes it really easy to understand. Nice. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, We'll stick that in the show notes. Yeah, continue with your story. I'm sorry. No, you're good. CRPS. And then I was able to deal with the pain on my own just through exercise. And I tried so hard to stay away from the doctors and prescription medications because I didn't want to deal with the side effects and feeling drugged and loopy. But then it got to a point in actually, I think it was like seventh, eighth, I believe I was seventh, eighth grade at the time. And we found this rehab program up in Pennsylvania and it's through a Dr. Sherry. And they basically put you through this week long rehab program. And it's two weeks or as long as you need. And you go through hours of physical therapy, occupational therapy, psychology, swim therapy, everything that you need within that stay. And so at that time I went into there not being able to touch other people, not being able to wear jeans, stuff like that. I had to leave class a few minutes early so other kids wouldn't bump into me. I'd take the elevator at school. And then after that program, I was able to run like three to five miles. Wow. And yeah, just through athletics, playing basketball, I'm growing up super athletic. And by the time I hit, I believe it was my junior year of high school, we, I was on varsity basketball and we were at a away tournament. And I remember just bawling because my uniform hurt so bad to put on. And my whole body just felt like it was on fire and we had no idea why. And that was a time that we think that we thought, okay, maybe I do need to go address this. And obviously what I'm doing now is not working. Yeah. So we need to change it. Now, do you know if there's a difference between what the difference is between this and something like fibromyalgia? Yeah, I had a few tests done to rule that out. Basically, I went through just about every medical test possible and everything came back normal. Yeah. And I also had doctors tell me that my knees were going to disintegrate by the time I was 16. Oh my that gosh. I was never going to walk again, blah, blah, blah. 
So it was very up and down and definitely yeah. dependent on what opinion I had at the time. Uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton has a book called The Biology of Belief. Basically, he's one of the primary people to bring epigenetics to the mm -hmm. forefront. And if you believe these things, there is a change in your cells. So what your thought process is and your attitude, even cancer patients, we've had, they've had cancer patients go into remission simply by changing their belief. Now that doesn't mean there's not underlying things that can still cause the cancer and, and not all cancer can go away, but it does make a difference at the mm -hmm. cellular level, which is pretty amazing. Actually, so. it's funny you say that. My partner is a huge fan of that book and introduced me to that book last year when I was at a tournament. Great book. Totally believe everything in that. So going through all of that at the time, also looking back, I had a strange relationship with my father. So at that age, digging all these emotions and feelings deep down, nowhere to put it. I think also showed in the physical pain that I was feeling and not being able to walk and then feeling almost sorry for myself at the same time. But then I went in for a lumbar nerve block and it did not go as planned. Ooh. Long story short. And I had two of them done on both sides and I woke up and not being able to walk correctly. I had a little bit of a limp. And then within a few weeks, there was this new treatment called Calmare. And they put electrodes on the outskirts of your pain to help scramble the pain messages. And so it was a brand new treatment brought over from Italy. It had really high success rates. People raved about it. And so I, going through this treatment, I kept the medical blog online through CaringBridge because so many people within the chronic pain community wanted to know more about it. And so it was a two-week treatment. I was hooked up to this machine for five days a week, an hour a day. And it felt like somebody was taking a tattoo needle constantly for that hour. And then every two seconds, pulling back a rubber band and snapping it throughout your entire body. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Doesn't yeah. sound like fun at all. Not at all. And so within the first week, I ended up getting really tired and just super sick. And throughout the whole process, I ended up losing like 30 pounds. Oh, man. And no idea why. And then second week, I got up in the hotel room and fell on my face and couldn't walk. And I remember thinking, what the hell? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is going on? And up front, the doctor had told me before we started that you, if you really care about your well-being, then you will never drink caffeine, you will never get tattoos, and you will never play basketball. I have like six or seven tattoos, played basketball. I love the sugar cookie almond at Starbucks. <laughs> I'm like, okay, dude, this is not going to work. So he was like, you know what? Here's my nurse. She's gonna, she will do this entire treatment for you. Later found out through CaringBridge, I got this random phone call from a medical facility. I said, hey, is this your doctor? We came across your CaringBridge online. They're like, yeah, that, that's him. Is this the nurse doing the procedure on you? Yeah, that sounds about right. Turns out she was not actually a nurse. Oh she boy. was an office assistant that was hearsay certified in Calmere. But I, again, I woke up not being able to use my legs and any questions that we had, she was unable to answer them. And I only saw the doctor once. And so we got out of there as soon as we found out. So I left the treatment a few days early and resulted in using a wheelchair. That's bananas. Just a little bit. So what about the treatment? What actually went wrong to cause the paralysis? I think it was just the way my body responded. Nothing against the treatment itself. Again, it's worked for so many people, which is great. Uh, just for me, it did not work out. Do you think it was botched, the uh, procedure they did with a non-actual certified nurse? I honestly do not know. Yeah. I was so focused on trying to get back on my feet and trying to get out of that slump I was in. And my mom was also being like, what is going on? Yeah. With no answers. And at that time, we had just finished a playoff game in junior of high school, about to start my senior year. Yeah. And then back at school using a wheelchair. And so everybody's, what the heck? Yeah. So it was going from two feet to two wheels was definitely unexpected. But yeah, it was hard. That is absolutely wild. 
Now, I do want to make a quick note about any listeners that experience this referral pain. You're actually feeling pain. It's true pain. It's just there may not actually be a cause. So it's a nervous system thing. Would that be an accurate uh, yeah, so way to describe it? My, my knee surgeon at the time said, usually CRPS comes from either extreme stress, illness, or surgeries. And yeah. so my left knee would turn purple and swell up triple the size. And every time I'd touch water, it would turn purple with orange spots. And then it moved to my left leg, same thing. And then my jaw oh my also. Gosh. It was the weirdest thing. And I would have these little red dots. I would just spread out once a year at the same time. Huh. It was the weirdest thing. Now, did you ever have, aside from the knee surgery, was there any kind of trauma that may have contributed? I had, a, I think I had two bone bruises at the time Yeah. before that. Other than that, that was about it. And no physical, mental, anything like that? Mm-mm. Man. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yeah, so going through that, um, obviously going from two feet to two wheels is no easy transition, especially yeah. at 16, 17 years old, not knowing what you're going to do, about to go to college. And so I actually found wheelchair basketball on YouTube yeah. one day, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. Like, their arms were jacked. Like, oh, that is just <laughs> awesome. Like, I got to try that. Yeah. It was actually game film from the London 2012 uh, Paralympic Games. My dad's former military. I was like, I got to try that. Yeah. Living, I'm actually from Texas, been here for a little over a year now. And we went down to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. And I got to try out the game for the very first time with guys that had just come back from overseas that were adjusting to their new life with a disability. And so I come in as a 16, 17 year old scrawny white girl, not knowing what she's getting herself into with guys twice my size, <laughs> but absolutely loved it. From then on, I was put onto a San Antonio team with, for the San Antonio Spurs Parasport team. And it was all guys that were all former veterans. They became like my brothers and my family that really taught me the game. Yeah. And then recruited to go play at University of Texas at Arlington, where I played for five years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. You had this crazy transformation into the wheelchair. How did you get from the wheelchair to now walking again? That's also not easy. And so big kudos to my partner. She's been the MVP and pushing me getting back up. So we met when I was still in the wheelchair. She's like, this is not going to work. We're going to get your butt up. <laughs> and so she was also a former personal trainer. I actually went plant-based for about a few years. Being chronically ill, obviously what I was doing then was not working. So if it's not working, then I'm going to go ahead and change it. I actually had a jaw, open jaw surgery back in fall of 2019. Unrelated, I've just had really bad TMJ. Obviously I couldn't eat. So I started doing like vegan shakes and protein shakes, stuff like that. And slowly transitioned to whole food plant-based diet. Yeah. Immediately within a few weeks, my chronic pain just went down to a minimum. It was crazy. My swelling went down, everything went, and so I kept that going and then slowly learning how to walk again. I went from the chair to using a cane, and then we found what's called a Sabo step online. I had really bad drop foot in my right foot, so I look like walking like zombie apocalypse is about to strike. <laughs> and so, now, for those that aren't familiar, is that like where the arch collapses? Yeah, my whole ankle just drops. Oh, even at the ankle? Yeah, so I couldn't lift, I couldn't flex my foot at all. Wow. When I'd walk, I have to really pull up my knee. Yeah. But also being so weak in my quads, my hamstrings, I couldn't even do that. Because you were in a wheelchair for so yeah, exactly. long. Exactly. So I had Atrophy. to build it up little by little. So the Sabo step, it was basically like a small ankle brace. And then it has like a BOA system on like snowboard shoes. Yeah. How it twists up. There's cables that connect to the laces with a little hook. And you can adjust how tight it is. So I can have my foot at a full flexion or as loose as I want it. Yeah. Start out super tight, just learning how to go heel to toe again, walk, build up my quad and my hamstring. And then slowly, every few weeks, loosen it until I was able to do it on my own. Oh, wow. But it was a long process. Yeah. So that's how I learned how to walk again. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you changed how you ate. When you had all this 
I already forgot the acronym. CRPS. PS. I'll just think of craps and then I'll remember it. <laughs> Basically. Without the A. But what were you eating like before you changed? And do you think that the food had anything to do with what was going on? 100%. I think going through emotional distress within family and then my pain and all that stuff and then just eating like shit coming from texas all the barbecue fast food whataburger all of that constantly and in high school you're not really caring about what you eat because you don't think it's going to hit you on later on in life but it does yeah that was really a wake-up call for me so huge factor in how i felt and not only do you still feel like super tired in the morning and you're a lot more sore from workouts or even throughout the day yeah. Um, going plant-based, I found that I was a lot less sore. I had more energy. My skin cleared up. Everything was just, I just felt better. To break some of that old diet down to the listeners as to why it could have contributed, I just want to hit on a couple points. So we know that fast food is typically going to use canola oil and oils that make it difficult for blood vessels to dilate, and that's going to cause all kinds of other issues, especially if there's a lot of wheat, grain, corn, dairy, and and harmful oils. It's going to attack the lining of your small intestines, and then you're not going to be able to absorb things like B12, for instance. And with neurological concerns, there's almost almost always a correlation with not properly absorbing B vitamins and things of that nature. So if all of this stuff made up your diet, it can certainly contribute to these types of things. But that's awesome. You're able to go plant-based and start to see differences with the other treatments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And going plant-based and mindfulness and stuff like that. And just knowing that I'm one with myself yeah. and being able to practice meditation and going plant-based, like we're all one, really changing my mindset and changing the way I eat. And then just making sure I get my workout in every day. Absolutely. So definitely key. So I'm hoping for, for a lot of our listeners that are struggling, and many of my clients over the years have had issues, more so with fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think maybe perhaps it was CRPS as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure all the differentiations, but I'm sure they're related. But hopefully if they can stay consistently on a positive diet change, plant-based, whatever it is, and get that consistent exercise in, how much of your day was taken up by rehabilitation type exercises to get to walking? And then what was the frequency? It was basically an all day thing. We get up early about five o'clock in the morning, get our workout done. And then it was constantly adjusting that ankle brace throughout the day. Even walking from the kitchen to the couch or the couch to the room or wherever I was going doing the little things and at the time I also had a cane just in case and my partner would actually go hide it so I didn't know where it was <laughs> so, okay you gotta go find it type thing yeah and I, I remember just being so annoyed like just get this shit over with but it helped out in the long run yeah. and so it was little things that made up the bigger picture yeah. and so after I played USA ball went to Paralympics all that good stuff competed I was, I was actually named the 2020 Tokyo team I was supposed to go to Tokyo oh, wow. last year yeah and so pandemic hit, games got postponed, and I th- that's when I thought, okay, maybe this is a sign that I need to take a step back, focus on getting b- back on my feet again, and then actually putting myself first for once. Yeah. And so then I retired and then became personal uh, certified personal trainer, and then all the gym shut down, so I thought, great, it's cool, whatever. <laughs> um, and then we moved to North Carolina. It's working little things every single day. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, is there a chance of any kind of remission or you don't know? I don't plan on it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't plan on it. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to keep the mindset of no. Have you ever felt like you were just throwing weights around like an idiot at the gym, hoping to see some results? Or after weeks or months of working out, notice that the scale just isn't moving? You wouldn't cook without a recipe. 
So why would you train or start a weight loss program like the Swedish chef randomly throwing ingredients into a pot? You need a sustainable plan that's science-based and attainable. Fire Within has worked with thousands of clients and helped them reach their goals. So visit firewithinnf.com today. Get yourself the free ebook. Read the testimonials and choose a service that works for you. Choose from services like one-on-one nutrition coaching, one-on-one personal training, and more. Again, that's firewithinnf.com. So now you're a personal trainer at Redline Athletics? Mm -hmm. I am, yep. So I've actually, when I first moved here, I was a basketball coach over at the Cary location, where I still am. So I go back between both locations, and then we just open up a brand new location in North Raleigh. Yeah. And so we do youth athletes and then working on adult fitness and stuff like that. So it's been, we got a pretty good facility out there. Let's tell the listeners a little bit about how those programs work and then who, who would benefit from going there and what they specialize in. We do all youth ages, eight through 18, all sports, multiple sports. Even if your kid does not play a sport, bring them on in. So we work a lot on speed, agility stuff, and then as well as strength training. Yeah. And so we build from the very foundation, even if your child has never touched a weight or does not know what a dumbbell is, we start from the very basics. And then we have kids that have committed to go play in college and further their career. So we have a super wide range. And so it's myself and we have two other coaches there as well. Are there aspects of the training that differentiate what Redline does with the traditional gym setting or just regular training or even what they get in PE or City sports. At Redline, we train athletes to be athletes. You're never going to win a football game or a basketball game by how much you can lift a barbell. Like, it's just not going to work. And so we teach them how to move their bodies correctly and then build on top of that, as even in the strength or the weight room as well. A lot of science goes into it, a lot of planning. And so we've seen kids over three months increase a rod jump even over a foot. Verticals go up, maxes go up. And so it's been really cool to see these kids grow. Yeah, that's awesome. Do they build in like corrective exercise stuff to keep the shoulders healthy, the joints healthy and things like that? Yeah. So as soon as you walk into a Redline Athletics session, um, we start with some activation and using just mini band stuff. And then we get into a 10 minute dynamic warm up and then straight into speed agility. So that ranges from acceleration, deacceleration, change of direction, some plyos, stuff like that. And then the last 30 minutes are spent in, in the weight room. Power exercises, core exercises, everything that you can think of. Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, above and beyond what, what they typically have exposure to. And all those things you explained, especially first thing that popped in my, my mind was the football combine where they're testing all those different things. Uh, but that is what makes up an athletic player is all those. It's not just picking up weights and going for it. Exactly. It's just yeah. learning how, especially at that age, some kids, they just don't know how to move their bodies. I was the awkward kid in middle school that ran but didn't know how to run correctly. And so I look like a wild giraffe running down the basketball court because I just did not know. And so we're able to teach these kids, hey, this is how you correctly run. This is how we start. This is how you do this or that. And so hopefully they can build upon that, even if sports is not their thing. We got kids that come in and they're in a theater or art or whatever. They just want to come in and socialize and have fun and have a good workout. And then their parents want them off the couch from playing video games. So it's a win-win. Yeah, especially after the pandemic, and in addition to inactivity and what that does to their health, also all that time just sitting in front of a computer or social media, I know depression, suicide rates in kids mm-hmm. have gone up. So Redline would be a great opportunity for them to be back into a social situation, up and moving with instructions so they're not going to get injured, mm-hmm. and they're working on all those athletic skills. Yeah, and we've seen so many kids come in and build friendships from the other kids that they've met in Redline. And so not only do we do the speed 
agility and the strength training, but we also offer sports sessions. We have different hours of each day of the week dedicated to a specific sport, such as soccer or baseball or even just straight speed and agility. And we also have football as well. They do scrimmage type stuff? We do drill, skills development, stuff like that. So we do group sessions and we can also do one-on-one sessions as well. Really cool. Awesome. So I got a good idea of your journey. If somebody's looking to make a change and maybe even from the perspective, if they're facing an unusual challenge, what are the top three pieces of advice you would give somebody looking to make a positive health change? I would just say, get outside, get your body moving for at least 30 minutes. Even if it's a super slow walk, at least you're moving. Check your diet. Make sure you're getting everything you need, even if it's vitamins or whatever you need, making sure you do that. And then just be happy. Do whatever thing that you love to do because life is way too short. Oh, absolutely. Which is why I occasionally will eat a donut. I feel that. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Joe, what do you have to add? What to you was the best part about being a... Olympic athlete. You end up in a situation where you started with the loss of the use of your legs to then quickly within the course of maybe what a year or two years finding yourself on the USA Olympic team. Mm -hmm. What was the what were the highlights? What was the best part about being an Olympian? I think the coolest part about it and winning gold was awesome, of course. Oh, you guys won the gold? Yeah, we won gold in 2016, so whatever. In our studio. I would be wearing that medal around all the time. (laughs) It it was pretty cool. But I think one of the biggest things that, especially coming from a small town in Texas, is knowing that there's such a big world outside of what I knew and the box that I grew up in and knowing that there's different people, there's different cultures, different skin colors, different religions, and I was never exposed to that. So being able to be in a facility in an area with people that are just there for sport yeah, and we're all united by sport was so cool. And so I tell the story a lot, but I was with a teammate in the dining hall and big thing in the Olympic Village is training pins. You want to see as many pins from different countries as you can and you collect them. It's quirky, but it's fun. <laughs> it gives us something to do on our off days. And so we came across a team that was sitting down there from Iran. They're a women's sitting volleyball team. And we wanted their pens. We go and see if they wanted to trade. So we come up, hey, how's it going? And then one of them talks to us and the others just look at us and look down, look at us. And then confused look on their face. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what? <laughs> and, and we're decked down like USA gear, like all this free Ralph Lauren Nike stuff. Yeah, I'm going to wear it. And she goes, you're from USA. People like you don't like us. And I was like thinking in my head, one, I don't even know you. Two, What? <laughs> And then it took me back of media and the news and stuff like that outside of this Olympic and Paralympic village thinking, oh my gosh, this is so much bigger than I would have thought. But then I noticed she was wearing Steph Curry basketball shoes and I just thought, okay, you got some sick shoes. (laughs) And so we became friends, following each other on Instagram, social media and stuff like that. But that moment I was like, wow, this world is so much bigger than what I know. And so that was one of the coolest things about being able to travel and represent the U.S. at the same time. It is interesting how other countries, because all the media sources are mm-hmm. angled and because oh, we thought when we visited France, all French people hate us and they're really kind. Mm-hmm. They see us struggling with their suitcases in the subways and they 
offer to help carry him up as we <laughs> looked lost puppy dogs. But you no, know, I found them to be extremely warm and friendly. And I guess there are all these stereotypes of different regions, but it's interesting. We're all the same, just different languages. Even with religion, I, I almost wonder if we're all worshiping the same God, we just call him something else. Yeah, there's a, there's a pastor and what he had determined, the top like 72 religions, something crazy, the top 72 religions all had the same fundamental value, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. Buddhist, Christian, whatever. It's all some of the similar principles. So I don't know. It's crazy how we all vow or we think differently. We Everything's so different, but at the end of the day, we're all the same. Yeah. And so, again, being in the Olympic Village and just seeing everybody together, no matter, so you had so many people with different disabilities and then people with no disabilities, just so cool being that same vicinity as them. Yeah. And so, how yeah. long did you get to spend in the Olympic Village? We were there, I believe, for three or four weeks. Okay. So, I've always wondered, like, the energy has to be crazy in the Olympic Village because everybody's probably in a pretty good mood because you made the Olympics. And so there's got to be a crazy energy. What were some of your favorite moments from being in the Olympic Village? Yeah, so before you go to the Olympic Village, you actually go through a fitting. So you get all your Nike stuff, your off Lauren, all the gear that you need, oh, so it starts which is out awesome. on a rough patch. Here's some yeah, free, you know. <laughs> really Here's some cool free gear. clothes. No, yeah. that was awesome. <laughs> we got all this stuff, and then we get there. And then from my perspective, being on a team of 12 women, we're having a great time. It's fun. We're at the Olympics. Yes, we made it. But then again, women within three weeks, you're bickering, you're fighting. I'm annoyed (laughs) with you. I need my space, but we're roommates, so I can't get my space. But it was awesome. Another thing that really stood out to me was actually in the Olympic Village in Rio, there was a McDonald's and it's all free. And so you can go get whatever you want. I love that. The Olympics are like, what do these people need? I know. <laughs> McDonald's. And so McDonald's. <laughs> but not to worry. <laughs> but not to worry. Our nutritionist is right there, like making sure, okay, we don't have any of our athletes here. But you would see a lot of these athletes from various countries that may, may not have the resources that we do or the food that we do. And so they were there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner constantly because yeah. it was just free. And they just never got that. But there's different things there, gift shops, stuff like that. But you're basically on a schedule of either practice in the morning, game at night, or game in the morning, practice at night for three weeks straight. Yeah. I've also heard in the rumors, like probably a lot of people have, that there's a lot of really cut and loose going on there at the Olympic Village. Was there like a party vibe happening? <laughs> it's funny you say that. So in Rio, I can't speak for Tokyo, but in Rio, they would actually have these vending machines and bowls everywhere of condoms. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I was Everywhere, yeah. everywhere, yeah. And so you just, I remember in the dining hall, we would see what athletes go up and get condoms. <laughs> and what, I remember one guy would come up and just get a bag full. We're like, oh my God. He's going to have a good night. <laughs> yeah. And so everywhere, within your dorm, within the building of your dorm, within the, di- like everywhere. everybody's in peak shape of their life. <laughs> and so the very last night after we had one gold, they have like a village party. And there's music, there's DJ, there's lights. It's outside in the International Village. And the International Village is an outdoor space where they have all the gift shops, McDonald's, all stuff like that. All the countries come together and you just party. And then you get up within two hours and then fly internationally. You go back home. So that's pretty rough. But yeah. So is, are as many people participating in this debauchery or is it like just like how frequent is it? The last night is probably when it's the biggest in Rio. I know in Tokyo they had a rule, I think, when your competition was done within 48 hours, you had to leave. Oh, yeah. And so I know it was a lot different, but in Rio, everybody came. <laughs> so, I mean, we got to like hang out and stuff, but it, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder if there's like a, a big spike in STDs after. <laughs> I remember actually seeing some girls I played against from different countries at the airport because we're all at the airport at the same time, just their head down and they just look awful. Oh, yeah. Just from the night before. So it was a big <laughs> joke. Yeah. Oh, man. That's wild. But yeah, a lot of partying going on at the very end. Yeah. Once everybody's done. After that intense, grueling regiment, I'm sure for years. Yeah, it's almost. like a weight off your shoulders. Okay, now yeah. I can breathe. Now I don't have to re- worry about reporting workouts or shooting workouts or weight workouts or stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. How much of a break do you take after the Olympics? That, I think, depends on your sport. Yeah. For us, we did not really take a break. Oh, and man. so we got a few months. And then... At the time, I was also in college, so I played year-round constantly. Yeah. So I played college ball and then also traveled for international ball as well. Yeah. So I never really got an off-season for yeah. like five years. Do you feel like you like that discipline and that regiment, and when you don't have it, you're bored and not as happy, or do you appreciate the free time? You appreciate the free time. You got to make sure that you don't get yourself burnt out because yeah. you can get burnt out so easily. And for the USA team, we had to report workouts or uh, weight workouts and then shooting workouts of a minimum, I think, of 500 shots each, five or six days a week. Wow. Plus a three-hour college practice, plus college lifting. It was a lot to balance. Yeah. And then also being a student full-time yeah. also was not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So what are the consequences if you don't report or didn't do a workout or something like that? You would get an email and then you would see your coach's name and be like, I do not want to open that email. We had to report by 11.59 p.m. every Sunday night. But I remember all of us, we had minders on our phones, alarms, stuff like that. And so if we didn't report, we would get called out. Because we're also a decentralized program, uh, meaning all of our athletes came from different parts of the country. And so we, we had to hold each other accountable from afar. Yeah. So a lot of our training was done by ourselves besides the training camps that we would attend to in Colorado Springs. So, so would an email mean potential dismissal from the team or just public shaming? Yeah, <laughs> definitely public shaming. Yeah. Be like, you're going to be a meme and we're going to force it to go viral. Oh shit. Here we go again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel honored to have an Olympic, a gold medalist gold. here in the studio with us at fire within Abby. Is there anything you'd like to plug? If people want to contact you, get in touch with you or learn more, any charities you support what would you like listeners uh, to have access to? come check us out if you're in the raleigh durham area at redline athletics in north raleigh and, and sutton square it's actually directly next to the fresh market that i visit every single day and then i'm on instagram at adunk23 and you can follow us on there and then also check out if any organizations athlete ally they do an awesome job for pro athletes as far as the lgbt plus community on and off the field that's amazing Thanks so much for, for joining us. And hopefully uh, you listeners, if you're struggling with some something, I'm hoping her story gives you some motivation. Joe, it makes me feel really lazy when we take a set off. <laughs> but uh, I so, always finish them. I don't know. You take them off. <laughs> <laughs> also, I lie. We work out together. <laughs> I just want to chant like USA. That's what's, that's what's been going through my head. Like USA. So, I'm excited for the Olympics again. When do they start up? I think February, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I love it. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. 